That's feminism, bro. But we're exploring diverse voices in my own female strength. And I'm gonna be honest with you. I think that word has been so diluted, hijacked, and defunct, we women aren't even sure what our role is or how to perform it. But I can tell you this much. It's hella important and we need to figure this out. I'm your host, Isn't every successful person successful not in spite of failure, but because of it? It was Michael Jordan that said he missed more than 9,000 shots in his career, lost almost 300 games, and failed 26 times when trusted to make the game-winning shot. But he also said if people are accountable for their failures and they handle them correctly, failure can lead you to success and become a tool for greatness. But there's also the other Michael who said you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Wayne Gretzky or Michael Scott. Anyway, I bring this up because I was hit with a lot of failures today, just even trying to get this to get this recorded, and it was getting incredibly frustrated. Um, I hate exposure, rift, tension, and attention, but that's actually why I'm doing this podcast, to kind of face that fear, to strengthen that weakness, or at the very least, to rob it of its power over me by sheer redundancy of effort. I've promised myself 52 episodes of this. It's not necessarily a budding success, and there are certainly times when I'm feeling pretty confident I'm going the wrong way, but I promised myself 52 weeks. That's one year of failure I might look back on, or maybe it's one year of a wash, or maybe it's the first 52 out of 10,052. I can't know that yet. What I can know is that Myself, my children, my family, they all see the opportunities it creates and it takes away, the threats that it exposes and the ones it expels, and they see a decent amount of of failure sprinkled in there too. That said, you're welcome to share, like, pass on, all of that, so that uh, we can make this failure success. That's my plug. Um, I was not named after St. Bridget, but I love her story, and for those of you that aren't familiar with the saints, I'm just going to pass it along to you real quick. Her mother died when she was eight. She married young. She had eight children. Then her spouse died. She attempted numerous works in her life, started to start a religious order, was aiding the king, tried to move the pope back to Rome, and she failed frequently. As a matter of fact, she accomplished none of the things during her life that she set out to do. But like so many of the greats, it was after her death that they started to celebrate her. And she is now called the patron saint of failures. Um, So... How do we know we are failing? Because we experience unhappiness? No, not necessarily. Struggle's often the byproduct of success. So maybe it's because we run out of money, but that's sort of doubtful because so often the story is, and then I was broke, so I had to go all in, and then they hit the success. Maybe it's because we reached X number of rejections, but that wouldn't be according to the J.K. Rowling and Harry Potter story. So the truth is, we really don't know. We just have to sit back and we have to fail. And when we think we've done enough of that, we have to fail again. And maybe that failure might lead to a change of course or a new idea. So we go off and we do that and perhaps we fail and then we die. Why? Did you think I was going to say something differently? I don't know. I kind of love that idea. I love the idea that you can be so excellent at failure. The beautiful thing about that St. Bridget is that she failed her whole life. And after death, the order was created. The Pope to this day still resides in Rome, so that was a success. And one of her daughters went on to become a saint, St. Catherine. Failure is a gift, and it's a gift to everyone. 
I have an amazing support crew, and when I fail, they're all standing around ready to pick me up. So the gift for me is humility and that sense of community, and the gift for them is that sense of community and seeing me vulnerable. I probably have some haters out there, and maybe they love to see me fail, so they get what they want. I have a spouse who's experienced failure himself, and I've always pushed him back up and out again. So when I fail, I can see he's looking at me, and I have to jump back up. I have to go at it again, and we're both so much better for it. And we have kids, and they're terrified of failure. But lucky for them, we do it with such regularity in our house that they've felt the joy and the triumph that come from that enough that even though they're terrified of it, it doesn't stop them. As a matter of fact, often they go back for more. And that's who this is really for. Personally, my failures are for them. School's taken away any sense of competition. At recess, they're allowed to play football as long as they don't keep score. In some districts, it's called the grading process racist, so it's done away with grades. We're getting rid of extracurricular activities and we're getting rid of, um, what are those called, those classes? Those Excel classes. So that nobody can feel badly that they're not in the fast group or the smart reading group and everybody's going to be treated the same. Sports are starting to give away a trophy to everyone and they're stopping keeping score. But losing, it's good because it's real. It's going to happen in our lives with such frequency. We have to learn how to live with it, through it, and frankly for it. And our kids need that too. If you get them a pet, they're going to love that thing unconditionally and one day that pet may die. And that's okay because loss is a part of life too. And learning loss frequently is going to help you deal with it when it really, really stings. When it's not a pet but a significant other or a family member. So go ahead. Let them ask her out even if she says no. Let them try out for the club or the team and let them sit in the sickness of defeat. Let them mourn that loss and they'll see how fully life goes on because of it. So I'm going to set the scene a little bit. Um, I was, I think I told you guys that I am on the PTO. Thank you very much. So I'm behind a table at open house. I'm under a sign that reads something along the lines of seventh grade, last names, L through Z or whatever. And I'm handing out schedules for the new year. Uh, I have a friendly smile on, a little bit of makeup, a silly shirt that says PTO strong because, I don't know, it's 2021 and we love to label everything. So I'm PTO strong, whatever the hell that means. I'm not masked, but masks are optional, and I am behind the table. And I'm smiling so they can see that I'm friendly. Um, This is middle school, so the kids are 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. For those of you that aren't sure what that is, that's like 10 to 13-ish. Maybe that sounds young to you. Maybe that sounds old. It is what it is. The reality is 5 is going to become 10, and 10 is going to become 20, and they're on a trajectory here. I think 10 to 13 is a good age. You are a couple years away from your license, a couple years away from high school if you're at the bottom end of that, a couple years away from college if you're at the top end of that. So this is, it's kind of even past formative in some ways. Like the formation, the foundation should already be there. Um, Anyway, for about two hours, I'm standing super cheerfully and friendly behind the table in my silly shirt, and I'm helping all three of these grades find their schedule. I'm giving them a map of the building and a little newsletter, and then they can go walk their schedules. Um, Last year, because of COVID, the school wasn't open to parents all that much until the end of the year. So if you have an incoming seventh grader or an incoming sixth grader, you're just as unfamiliar with the school as they are. So I would say like, you know, 75% of the classes, parents are new to this. Our school has roughly a little over a thousand kids. And I would guess I saw about 700. And I would bet I talked to like three or 400. Uh, or maybe did I though, because some of them 
walk up, they stand there and they wait for me to ask them their last name and then they give me their last name and then I give them their schedule and the transaction is gone and we never see each other again. Some of them walk up super confident. Hi, my last name is blah, 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 and I'm in seventh grade, and I'm da-da-da-da-da, and, you know, and they're, like, willing to talk, and then they even look at their schedule, and they kind of groan about something. A couple of them um, walked up and said, Hi, my name is, you know, whatever, and I'm looking for my schedule, and I also read on the email that we're going to receive lockers. Where do I go to find out more about that? So there was, like, a whole monicum of people. But the ones, the, the ones that were kind of killing me are the ones we're going to talk about. Um, just like with the kids, there were a whole variety of parents. Some are standing right there next to their kids. Some are over in the corner, kind of on their phones. Some are dropping their kid off and driving a circle around and picking their kid up. The ones that we're going to talk about, though, are the ones that were right there hovering right next to this eighth year, eighth grader. And uh, the eighth graders aren't making eye contact. They don't look at me. They don't want to talk to me. They're mumbling under their breath or behind their mask if they're choosing to wear one. They're expecting their parents to jump in, and the parents are jumping right in. As soon as it looks a little uncomfortable, the parents are taking it from there. So I'm doing a little experiment, which I often do when I'm, when I'm here for two hours and there's nothing else to do. I start the people watching. I start making judgments, and then I start playing around. So I've turned this into my own personal experiment. At a certain stage, I decided I will no longer look at the parents. I will only look at the school-age child, and I will say, hi, what can I do for you? And I will see what they do from there, and we're just we're going to see how far we can go with this. This is what I'm going to tell you about, though. It wasn't a majority, but it wasn't a crazy minority either. I would say if I saw three or 400, I saw at least 50 who were nervous as an understatement. They were terrified. They were terrified of me, and they were terrified of talking to me. I'd say, hey, how's it going? What, you know, what's your last name? And they would shake their head no. Like physically, dramatically, shake their head no. And then they would look right at their parents. And I wouldn't look at their parents and I'd say, I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Is this eighth grade, seventh grade, or sixth grade? And they would back up. I had at least two or three people back away from the table with fear. And the moms jump in and they're rubbing the kids back and patting the kids' hair and whispering, you know, encouraging thoughts to the kid. And I'm not going to describe these kids. Maybe you have a picture, maybe you know what they're wearing or what they're doing or you know exactly what they look like, but it doesn't even matter because it's not on the kid. This is a 13-year-old. I mean, in 2 years, you're you're going to be driving a car. Some of you may or may not already be sexually active and you cannot look at me and say your last name. I mean, come two days from now, you're going to be sitting in a classroom and your parents aren't going to be around and you're going to have to do a lot more than say your last name. I mean, I'm not that surprised because we've taught them this. Is this COVID? I don't know. Maybe this came, maybe this came before COVID. Maybe it's gotten worse because of COVID. But we have taught them that everybody's disease riddled and we're all carrying deadly pathogens. And if we make a wrong move, we're going to kill grandma or each other. We have taught them we don't care enough about them to even want to see their faces. We've told them to stay away from us and we've told them that we want them to stay away from everyone else. And we've said we don't want to be near them. We've told them to stay isolated. And then at the same time, we've given them these devices that they can hide behind where they're getting incredibly confident. So while they're growing and budding in confidence online, they are weakening and falling apart under the pressure of saying their last name out loud to a woman six feet away. We have failed. We have failed them. And it's not that good kind of failure I was talking about earlier. Let's take it back a step. 
I feel like there's basically two types of parents. There are those who had to tough it out when they were growing up and they always say, I just want to do better than my parents did. And then there are those who had it great who say, I just want to give them at least what my parents did. So either way, the bare minimum is basing it off of what you had before. And all of us had a hell of a lot more than this. All of us were running outside, riding our bikes. Sometimes we were kicked out in the morning and weren't allowed in until night. We were drinking out of water fountains on good days, but hoses on regular days. We had sovereignty. We had autonomy. We had confidence. We had freedom. We had independence. And we had competition. And we have taken all of that away from these kids. We had so much that's been taken away from them that we can't even control. So even if you wanted to give them that, you have to work so much harder than your parents did to give them that because our parents had it. It was available. Now we have to work to fight to to get a mask off of them, to get them a mask break at school. So this is a hard job. I'm not saying it's easy. We definitely have to work. And I'm not talking about giving them the iPhone or the Nikes that we never had growing up. I'm talking about giving them the communion and the camaraderie and just the basic self-confidence that you need at ages 10 through 13. And we've robbed them. And it's on us. We can blame COVID and, and we can blame the situation around us. And we can tell them they're doing their part for other people by staying docile and vulnerable and slumping their shoulders and keeping their heads down. But at a certain stage, stage we're destroying them. And we need to stop the failing. The problem is, I think we've stopped failing. I think we have gotten away from it. I think we're starting to be quitters and cowers and making excuses for ourselves. I think we started to justify and run away from failure. That's us as adults. So if we're shielding and protecting them so much that they're not even capable of functioning, it's because they're looking at us and they're seeing that we are protecting ourselves. What happened the last time you went for something in front of your family, like your kids or your the young people in your life or even your spouse and your significant other. What, did it, what, did, what happened? Because I know what happens on social media. I know we only post the good pictures. I know sometimes we post the before picture, but that's not until we have a great after picture to go with it. So what started to happening with what started happening with us personally is that we started to hide from failure and then we didn't want to expose our failures to anybody. So we started faking that our failures weren't failures and we started brushing them off and saying, yeah, well, I don't like running anyways. And yeah, yeah, that wasn't the job for me. And then we wait until we've got this great after picture and then we can always look back and we can say, well, I'm glad I didn't get that job because now here I am. But when we didn't get that job, we were not honest with ourselves and we haven't been honest with ourselves about our ability to fail. I mean, these kids had to go in on that first day. Their parents weren't there to walk with them and sit with them in the class. Somebody must have at least taken roll call on that day. Did they even answer? Did they raise their hand? Did they nod their head? Did they start crying? I don't know, but what happens to them from here on out? What happens to them for the rest of their lives? I was sort of shocked about all this, and I was talking to my husband about this real fear, real fear in these children's eyes for for having to give their last name. Like, this wasn't made up. This was not drama. It was real, and I was um, telling I was telling this story to my husband, and my thirteen year old overheard it, and he and I kind of wanted him to maybe hear overhear a little bit of it. Like I wasn't bashing them, so I don't feel like I was shit talking. I just feel like I was genuinely concerned that the kids are missing something, and he overheard it, which I which I was okay with. And he came in and said, "Oh my gosh, mom, do you remember when we were at the coffee shop um, when I was younger?" 
And I didn't remember. And he told me this story. So we were at a coffee shop, which we did frequently. And um, he saw a police officer. And he said, hey, we should get that police officer. We should pay for that police officer's stuff. And my husband must have given him like a $10 bill and said, okay, go for it. And then he got terrified and was like, no, no, no. I mean, we collectively should do that. And then my husband put his foot down and was like, here's the money. He's up at the counter. Go ahead up and say, I'd like to pay for your stuff. Thank you for your service. And my son was, he's kind of prone to anxiety. He always gets nervous about this kind of stuff. But he said, I don't even remember this story, but he said that he went up and he said that to the officer and he came back and he kind of started crying. And the officer came over to him later on and told him like how brave he was and how awesome that was and how it made his day. And the officer had picked up an extra donut or something and given it to him. So Anyway, I had totally forgotten this story, but as he's telling this story, I'm like, where were we? Like, when was this? And he said we were living in Pittsburgh, which means we moved from Pittsburgh when he was seven. So this was like when he was six or seven years old, we had him doing something like this. This is not to celebrate our parenting, but to acknowledge the fact, although (laughs) we can celebrate our parenting a little bit. That was kind of a baller move. But this is really to acknowledge the fact that he remembers this story, that he remembers going through that and the fear that he felt and overcoming that fear. And to think now he's kind of like Mr. Social Butterfly. And I know that every kid's different. I have one kid that I absolutely constantly like, you should really make eye contact. You should really do. I really need you to look at them. I really need a firm handshake. Um, This is not that kid. This kid is Mr. Social Butterfly. So I'm not surprised that he's out there doing this stuff. I would have always assumed he would have been able to give his last name. I mean, all of my children can give their last names. All of my children can make a little bit of eye contact, even if they've got sweaty palms when they do it. But it's to say that this stuff, it it doesn't start when they're 13. It doesn't start when they're an eighth grader and they can't give their last name. Like we have failed and we need, and we need to do two things. One, we need to get out and we need to help them overcome this because it's going to be a very challenging future for them. But two, we need to get out and we need to teach by example. We need to fail. They need to see us do that. They need to see us go for a run and then turn it into a walk and then go back out the next day. And they need to see us get nervous about the presentation at work and they need to see us practice it in front of the mirror. And then they need to, we need to tell them that it didn't go great and that we were nervous or that we forgot a line or whatever it was we have to be okay with failure so that they can be okay with failure because this is detrimental to their future what is this going to look like in 30 years what are these kids going to be doing in 30 years this is real they're 13 now anyway today i want you to go out and i want you to fail i want you to fail early i want you to fail often i want you to fail everywhere and i want you to fail until you succeed and i want you to fail with poise and i want you to be gracious in defeat and i want you to be proud of your failures because for them for you failure's okay it's all right it's how we get to michael jordan status and we are on our way to either michael jordan status or catastrophe. And you've got to make that decision over and over again, every single time. So go out there and fail today. I wish you the best of luck in your successes, but also in your failures. That's all guys. Thanks so much. That's it. That's feminism. Thanks so much for joining me today. You can find me on Instagram at That's Feminism Bro and ask me any questions or just share your thoughts. Artworks by KVB and music by Ace Parawan.